Welcome, welcome, welcome to Bricks and Clicks with your hosts, Johnny and Colin of Omnium. They are CPG mathematicians, and in this episode, they are going to be talking about using trade spend to drive forward and pay for performance and busting a couple of myths about overpromotion and packaging changes. Here are your hosts, Johnny and Colin. Hey, Lucas. How's it going? Good. How are you guys? Are you murdering your thirst after that interview with Sticks? I am. Me too. Drinking one right now. It's tasty. Just the right level of carbonation. What, what are you calling? What are you drinking? What are you sipping on? Uh, I'm drinking on water that is not murdering my thirst. It's just regular tap water. Oh, no. That's awful. That's... I, drank, I drank all my cans of liquid death last week. <laughs> Delicious San Francisco tap water from the Hetch Hetchy Reservoir. Well, let's jump into it. I'll turn it over to you. Let's start with using trade spend to drive forward and pay for performance. Let's start at a 50,000 foot overview of what that means and just narrow in on what you guys are doing these days in that area. Yeah, it sounds good. So at Omnium, when we start working with our brands, our primarily fo- our first primary focus is around trade spend and how can you use those trade dollars to drive growth? And so we've alluded to this in the past in prior episodes about how you can influence things at shelf and buy events, lower the price, pay for slotting, right? There's a lot of things you can do with it, but it's important once you get rolling and working with brands is to set guardrails or guidelines in terms of how much do we spend? Should we spend the same at all customers? What should we get with our dollars? What should we expect? And so the language that we like to use is pay for performance. So very simple version of this is we're not going to recommend that every customer, all your retailers are going to get the same trade rate. So we're not going to spend the same amount of money with each customer. We're going to dial that in and adjust it based on what we're going to, or what we expect to get for those dollars. So uh, that's at a high level. How do you set that? So that's what we call paper performance. And so I think it might be a good idea, especially as we kick off and head into account planning season in the CPG world, to talk about what is paper performance and what can you expect to get? I know this is a big topic for Colin with his brands right now. Yeah, exactly. And so it takes, I know one of the challenges with paper performance is with growing companies, it's sometimes hard to know exactly how much you're spending with your customer. And so some of the groundwork to be able to enter into a pay per, for performance model is to actually have reasonable tracking of that. So either having good account plans so that you can estimate your spend at a customer, or if you're lucky enough to have a TPM system that tracks your spend, then being able to pull out what those amounts are. And then what we usually see, right, is that there's a wide range of different trade rates trade rate being the amount you spend as a percentage of total sales, there can be a lot of different trade rates across your customers. And so then the next question comes back is like, okay, well, why are we spending differently at different customers? Often before you've gone through this exercise, the answer is more for historical reasons than for rewarding behavior or incentivizing behavior we want. Because that that TDS, that's an investment you're making, right? You're decreasing, you're investing your margin with your customers. And so you mm-hmm. want to invest where you're going to get the best return for your buck. And so it's important to think about that because most often it's going to allude to you're investing a lot more at some customers and not getting anything. It's like, well, why are we doing that? Why is this retailer yeah. have the biggest trade spend and they're the most inefficient retailer in the market, right? I guess from your point of view, Johnny, what are the key things that go into how much a customer should be getting for investment or how much a trade rate we're going to allocate to that customer? Yeah. So I think it's important as a sales organization to set what are your top priorities to your field, right? So what's the number one rule of trade? What are you trying to get with your trade? Where are you okay spending on? What are you not? 
And so typically, I mean, I'm sure you're all not surprised to hear this is distribution. That's the number one, right? So if we can incentivize more distribution, then I would be willing to approve more spend with a customer because we're going to get more real estate. Uh, we're going to drive our sales and get our new items on, on the shelf. That's usually high up there in terms of uh, if we're going to spend more, I would expect more distribution on the shelf. Another one we often work with is display and buying events that have, so I mean, it's usually going deeper, but having some inventory, incremental inventory tied to it. So you have more of your product on the store floor when you run a promotion. And so if we can invest to to get that or have some requirement for that, shipper programs, NCAP programs, any type of display vehicles, that's usually a good return. And I'm going to probably spend more for that. So you're saying like tying display levels to spend amounts? Exactly. Like if, if, if you see a higher display execution, then we can invest more with that customer? Exactly. And one way you can do that too is almost you can offer a discount on items that are sold on a display, like a shipper program or shipper vehicle, and have a discount there. So you incentivize the retailers, hey, I'm going to get my discount, but I got to buy it on these display-ready vehicles. Mm -hmm. um, so they can make their margin there. And then um, you would increase your, your volume of sales as well? So let's Pardon? say you would increase your volume of, of sales as well. So let's say my, my brand or, or liquid death, since we just had them on the, the pod, they might have their, their section of display in the cooler, but then they might also have a shipper with a, a new flavor or a new can, which could then be more inventory that they have in the store, which is also delivered through a promotional vehicle. What are some other displays that maybe wouldn't have that, that additional inventory? I think a shipper is the one that we all, we all think of. What would some other examples of, of displays be in, in a grocery store? I think well, one that we see a lot is coolers. So mm -hmm. especially for things that for items that need to be refrigerated, they could be in a separate location, like at the check stand. We've worked with some brands in the past where they have branded coolers sitting in a Whole Foods, and that will allow you to get more inventory in. That's another display vehicle. I mean, you can go on quarter pallets, you get pallet programs. We just have pallets sitting on the floor. Oh. If you walk into a Walmart, say during the holiday season, they're going to have pallets of green beans um, yep. just sitting there. Kroger does a lot of that as well. So there's a wide range. Wow. I'm sure I've missed some Collins probably thinking of some as well. Yeah. Well, it was like you get smaller and smaller ones too, like clip strips that was mm. kind of plastic hanging things that you can clip onto. Those are technically a second location in the store. So those would show up in uh, display support levels. Lucas, you mentioned a really good thing around innovation, a really good point, is you can use these to have your innovation on the floor, but it's really important that it's not just innovation. So the advice that we always give is, hey, have a display program. Say you have multiple SKUs on the shipper or in the quarter pallet or what have you. You got to have your number one SKUs, your number your top SKUs, right? You want to have a lot of volume there because you're going to yep. move through that quickly. But you could also leave room for maybe one facing or one caddy or whatever that is, one case of the new SKU you're launching as well so we can get some visibility and trial. Well, but I want to sell my, my new SKUs. I'm going to load up my promotional vehicle with just my rainbow sprinkle flavor of carbonated water. Well, then you'll probably be out of stock in center store on your main facing, and then you'll have a lot of extra product of these rainbow sprinkles that the, they'll be getting shipped back because they're coating out. Yeah. It's, I, I think one, one marketing philosophy that I've learned over the years, which is true, is just keep giving people what they want. If, if you know plain or chocolate or gray sweaters sell, just make more of those. That, that will bring people in. That's all you need to do. Oh, yeah. What do people want? Maybe. Give them more of that and make it easier to get. We, I mean, I agree with that so much. I guess we could talk for another 20 minutes about that topic, probably. We've, we've successfully gone pretty far away from our original topic. Yeah. Which is okay. But yeah. let's go back to pay for performance yeah. on that. Uh, 
And so how do we get, how do we use this model to, let's say, to get placement on our new items, right? Not necessarily even with displays, but this type of paper performance model, the nice, one reason it's really nice is it's pretty general framework that's easy to understand, right? We have some things we want and we'll pay more if we can get those, but it's really flexible in that we get to choose what those things are that we want. If the most important thing to the sales team is getting that new item in, then when we're tying our investment levels to it, well, we should be rewarding customers for that. So if they take a new item, we increase the trade rate or we tie a larger uh, slotting amount like yeah. upfront and a benefit that we can pay to get this in place. And so we can get specific in like the, the things that, that we think should be included in it, but really it's a nice general framework for just making sure everyone is marching to the same drum and that we're rewarding customers for what we want. Shopper marketing is a great one too, right? Where you can invest in some shopper marketing programs, either one-time fees or what have you. And you can put that as part of your package of saying, yeah, if you give us three incremental SKUs, then we'll invest in your shopper program that you're really keen on right now to, to support the launch or the incremental distribution. Another piece of paper performance that we've been touched on is uh, retail and margin. So that's mm -hmm. another piece. If, if the customer you're working with is willing to invest their margin, so say we're talking about a promotion we're going to run, like a, a BOGO event or a deep, deep feature event, if they're willing to take a lower margin than, say, their everyday margin, so I, they're, they're investing, then we can invest as well. And so that way we're both investing together to drive a, a hot deal, have a lot of display and sell a lot of product, and we both make a lot of uh, incremental revenue and profit with that. So that's another key metric I like to look at is, is what margin is the retailer willing to take and are they willing to compress to drive sales? Mm. And that one's interesting because I know when we're dealing with brands, brand managers will often get a little upset when they see prices too low in the market, right? You don't want to, yeah. like you, you start to create issues if one customer is priced really low and all the other customers want that price and we know how that conversation goes. But it's funny because usually those customers that are lower priced in market are often doing it out of their own margin. There's kind of like a, hey, they're, they are investing in our business and we, and we like that, but at the same time, the price is getting lower than we want and we don't like that. Yeah. And so, yeah, just, we've got to be careful. Guess, think about those things when we're doing pay for performance, like how much, what's the most we would pay, I guess, so we don't get out of, uh, out of control and start giving low margin customers a lot of dollars and then the price goes down and that whole spiral. Yeah. Cause it's you gotta always got to remind ourselves that the manufacturer, the brands, we don't set the price on shelf, right? We only control what price we sell it to Safeway or Kroger or Walmart or Whole Foods, and then they get to price it however they want. And so as long as we're being smart with that price we're selling and not um, getting completely out of whack and managing our channel conflicts, we, we should be okay. I mean, it's not going to stop some, some retailers from being irrational and getting upset and saying, oh, whatever, I can't compete at this level. I'm going to discontinue. But as long as you are being honest and truthful in terms of like, hey, we're giving you the best deal or whatever it could be, or there's reasons to it, then that's the best you can do. Yeah. Yeah. Like I know one, one thing that um, we'll often do to help kind of fix that issue is, is having that maximum investment allowable for any customer. So you know what the max is. So kind of like, hey, if a customer had all the items we want and took all of our new items and displayed us all the time everywhere in their store and, and some more conditions, then here's the most rate any customer could get. And that kind of changes the conversation then when you when you talk to a customer who's upset about seeing a low price in market, because you can say like, hey, here is an investment. We could invest more with you. We do all of these things and then and then you would have the exact same level of investment. And then if you want to choose to chase that price, the rest is out of your margin. I kind of. Kind of levels the playing field so that 
you're not playing favorites with customers and, and your sales team can have intelligent conversations about what's going on and how customers are doing things without giving away the, the details of the trade plan. Yeah, that's so good. You're pointing to the facts, right? It's not like you're just willy-nilly coming up with numbers. It's, it's very clear, like, this is what we're looking for. And if you do that, then we're invest. We're happy to invest. It's getting us what we need to drive our business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something else I love about the paper performance model is it, it kind of gets rid of some of that uh, mental overhead you have to do in decision-making. Hmm. So that every time there's a question about like, can we invest more, right? You're not going back to the drawing board and starting with a blank piece of paper or Excel workbook. You're going back to the model and saying, no, we know how we make these decisions and we make them consistently. And here's what we can do and why. And just yeah. frees up a lot of that, frees up a lot of time and, and mental capacity to uh, make other decisions. Yeah. It gives clarity and to the sales team, right? When you go into account planning, like it's, that's why it's important to set these rules or the priorities before you head into account planning, communicate it with the field. And then each session, like you said, Colin, it just sort of reduces a lot of that labor because like, hey, are they giving us more distribution? Okay, we'll spend more. Are they investing their margin? Okay, we'll go deeper on, on deal as long as within our guardrails. And are they giving us a display program? Okay, we will invest for that. And that's very clear. And you're going to get it. It makes your trade dollars work harder for you, I find. So with that, that's our opinion on pay for performance. Uh, and how it should lead into or how it can lead into your account planning for 2023. Yeah. And if you don't have the ability or the the data to back up to do it, it's still good to think about these types of things. Like even though you might not have the entire model built out, just under starting to think about what are those things that you want from your customers and um, how much extra are you willing to invest if they um, play ball with you? Thank you so much. Make sure you're subscribed to Bricks and Clicks wherever you're listening and if you know anyone in the CPG space, let them know about the podcast too. Might help their business. If you want to connect with Johnny and Colin, you can find them on LinkedIn or at omniumcpg.com. And if you are at Expo West in a couple of weeks in March, right around the time that this episode is airing, they will be there too. Yeah, Colin and I are both really looking forward to Expo West and finally getting back to the CPG community. One of the most exciting weeks of the year for us. We've been disappointed to miss it the last two years. And so reach out. I'd be happy to meet up and connect on your brand.